touch it. Use the handheld. I just got it out of there. Are we okay? Go ahead. Elijah, we are going to read God's word. We are going to read God's word. 1 Kings chapter 17, found on page 555 in your pew Bibles. Elijah is fed by the ravens. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tish in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread, brought him meat and bread in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. The widow at Zarephath. Sometime later, the brook, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so may I, I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And please, bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself, my son and and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Our second reading is in the New Testament. It's found on page 1,872. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 to 28. 
It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most high place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The very words of God. Thank you, Sherry. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, imagine this. She sits in a room filled with tears and heartache. Her old, gnarled hands are folded in her lap. Her eyes closed. She's quiet as if in prayer. Not one of the days of the 96 years she has lived could have prepared her for this day. She has come <clears throat> she has come to celebrate. Her great-grandchild is getting married today. However, before the wedding music could begin or the bride walked down the aisle, tragedy struck. Uncle Bob's plane is missing in the mountains, so said the person on the other end of the phone line. The plane was carrying four family members, all destined for the wedding celebration. It never arrived. A few hours after the first phone call, the gut-wrenching, awful news came. They found the plane. There were no survivors. What do you say at times like that, her old grandmother knew. She said very little, but what she said was very strong medicine. God has spoken, was what she said. He will provide. He's in charge. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to believe and to live out of a belief that is so. You're in the middle of stuff that you'd only expect to encounter in a nightmare. The doctor tells you you have cancer. Your business is on the skids, and you're about to lose it all. Your child, in whom you invested so much love and care, runs away from home or has a run-in with the law 
or starting to get into drugs. You're devastated. You watch as things you work so hard for begin to collapse. Collapse around you, and you're confused. And you're afraid. Then some well-meaning friend reminds you, relax. God's in charge. God will provide. And you wonder if he is. You wonder if he does. You wonder if he will. It's hard to have the faith and conviction of old grandmother with her hands folded and her quiet confidence that God has spoken. But that's the language our God wants us to learn to speak. It's a posture in life our God invites us to take. When we live our lives, we encounter things we're not sure of, crises that threaten to overwhelm us, or pain so deep we feel it's going to destroy us. It's a posture not of cocky self-confidence or of indifference to the hard stuff of life, but the humble trust and submission to the will of an almighty God who we know loves us and will care for us. Everyone who is at all familiar with the Bible knows this assurance that God will provide, he's in charge, are the lyrics of the songs of faith that are sung on the pages of the Bible. It's a song sung by the psalmists. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble, Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, Psalm 121. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, Psalm 23. Do you hear them? Do you hear the lyrics of trust and faith? This is, all the main, this is also the main message and refrain that runs through both our Bible reading today. <clears throat> Sung from the mouth of God to the prophet Elijah, whose story we read in 1 Kings 17. And sung again from the lips of Jesus after his death for the sin of the world. As he enters heaven, holding out to the Father his completed work of atonement. I will provide. I will provide. God keeps whispering in Elijah's ear. And Jesus echoes those same words, now only with a confidence that his saving work is enough and acceptable God. I have provided. I have provided. I have provided, he shouts, as he enters the throne room of the Almighty God. Let's listen again to both these passages of God's holy word. Here as the voice of God speaks to us of plentiful provision. Listen and take comfort and courage for our living and dying. A beleaguered prophet is in God's care. Let's listen to Elijah's story. His name means, my God is Jehovah, or Yahweh is God. He was God's prophet to Israel in tough times. Well, Tough times for prophets, that is. Ahab is king of Israel. Of him we read, Ahab did more evil 
in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings before him. The notorious Jezebel is his wife. She is the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. We're told of Ahab that he trivialized the sins of his fathers. That means he treated them so much as fluff. Really nothing to worry about. We are told also that with Jezebel he made Baal worship common practice in the land. So all across Israel, altar fires burned for Baal. Yahweh God was forgotten. This was Ahab's legacy and reputation. He did more to provoke the God of Israel to anger than all the kings before him. You have to know something about being a prophet at times like this. In times like this, this occupation of prophet is listed under hazardous employment. And that certainly is certainly how Elijah experienced it. He's on Jezebel's list of most despised people. And that put him on Ahab's hit list. Ahab wants to kill him. No wonder. God had sent him to announce his judgment on Israel's king and nation. You can't get away with what you're doing, Elijah repeatedly warned the king. If you obey Jehovah God and worship him alone, he will bless you. He will provide. But if you live in rebellion and sin, God will punish you. So at this point in the story of Elijah's ministry, we find him on the run. He had told Ahab and Jezebel that God would send a drought and famine in the land. And God did. No rain has fallen. Crops are withering. Fields are parched. Cattle are dying. People are starving. And Ahab and Jezebel are mad. Like godless people everywhere, they don't look at themselves or their own sins and practices as a cause of the drought and their sufferings. Instead, they blame the messenger. It must be Elijah's fault. If we get rid of him, everything will be good again. And that's why Elijah's on the run. Don't think, though, that Elijah is pulling off a Jonah, trying to run from God. No, it's really God who sends him into hiding. God looks after his prophets. And right now, Elijah needs some divine TLC, some tender love and caring for, and God will give it to him. <clears throat> it's a strong arm of God that will shelter him and God's hands that will hold him and feed him. There are two wonderful pictures of God's providing for this beleaguered and battered servant. We're told that God sends to Elijah, sends Elijah to a brook east of Jordan. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kiriath Ravine, east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered ravens to feed you. Don't you love that? Our God is the God of all creation, and look, he commands, he commands ravens to be his ministers. Morning and evening, there they are with Elijah's breakfast, and supper in their beaks. Bread and meat for God's faithful prophet. Elijah's dinner bell is the caw of a raven and on the wings of a bird. 
God comes to provide. It's still a tough situation. He's still a hunted man, a persona non grata, and he's still on the run. But the difference between Elijah and Ahab is this. God is walking alongside Elijah as his friend, as his provider. For Ahab, God's wrath and judgment are pursuing him. To Elijah, the voice of God came as a lover's voice or as a father's voice. Just relax, Elijah. I'm in charge. Don't worry, Elijah. I'll provide. It's the voice of God Elijah hears in the raven's beating wings. It's the hand of God that proffers food. That's the first picture. Elijah by the stream and God coming alongside, providing rest and nourishment. When the brook dries up and the water is gone, God tells Elijah to move on. And now we're treated to another delightful picture of God's care. He sends Elijah to a small town called Zarephath, right in the heart of pagan Ethbel's kingdom, right smack dab in Baal country. Go there, says God, because I've commanded a widow there to supply you with food. Did you hear that little word, command? I've commanded? When he arrives and sees a woman by the town gate gathering sticks, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink, he asks her. And she goes to get it for him and asks her another favor. Bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, she replies. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug is all I have left, she says in apology. I'm gathering a few sticks to make a fire and a meal for myself and my son. It will be our last meal. We'll eat it and then die. Don't be afraid, Elijah tells her. My God is big enough to handle it. He will provide. Go bake a loaf of bread for me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on this land. Did you see what she did? She does what God invites her to do, to trust him. And off she goes to bake a a loaf of bread, And when she's done, there in her flour jar is more flour. And in her oil jug is more oil. And it goes on day after day after day after day. Flour and oil, always just enough, never more. Always there, God provides. That's the way it is with God. His supply of provisions will meet our needs. There's a lesson in this. Elijah trusts, and his trust is rewarded with generous provision from God. The widow trusts. She gives all that she has and is blessed with a provision that is limitless and boundless. That's our experience too, isn't it? God provides. He's generous beyond belief. Daily, he cares for us. He may not give luxury, but for most of us, he does. Our experience is that in times of plenty and times of want, 
Our Father is gently alongside us and gives us what we need for the day. We're not always aware of his presence or his blessing. That's because it's so hard to break the habits that come so naturally to us of worry and anxiety, of fretting and stewing, of taking matters into our own hands as if we were in charge of our destiny and future. Elijah learned a simple lesson. The widow learned it too. They learned to trust and obey. And that's what our God invites us to do. Obey Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. It's God's recipe for a life of blessing. It's His prescription for tough times. God provides. And that's the lesson we learned from Elijah. Let's look over what the writer of Hebrews says about the same thing. The picture is in the ninth chapter of the letter to Hebrews. Is an even deeper and more profound and awesome depiction of the same truth. Only now it's not bread and meat, earthly food and provision that's being given. It's God's eternal provisions, bread and drink for eternity from heaven that we see in Hebrews 9. Let's look at this picture. As you do, keep in mind of a promise that we find on almost every page of the Bible. Keep in mind God's promise of forgiveness and cleansing from our sin. Keep in mind God's rich and wonderful promise of a new covenant of grace. In Genesis, at the dawn of time, when sin first came sulking into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, God said, I will save you. There, already in Eden, was the promise of a Messiah, a rescuer to rescue us from sin. Take it away and wash us clean to free us from its curse and judgment. There were a thousand pointers over the centuries, always pointing ahead to God's plan and God's promise to provide a Savior, to rid the world of sin's judgment and curse. He chose Abraham and Sarah to parent a nation with whom he made a covenant and from whom the Messiah would be born. He sent prophets to teach his people about himself and to announce the coming of the Messiah. He gave his law through Moses to point ahead to the one who would fulfill it. He ordained blood sacrifices to point to the blood of the Lamb that would take away the sin of the world. He appointed kings from the line of David. God promised that a savior king would be born. This is the promise of an old covenant, I'll provide everything a sinful world needs for salvation. Well, look what we see here in Hebrews 9. It's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Crossing over the threshold of heaven. He is carrying something. He's carrying his complete ransom payment for the sins of the human race. He is entering into the very presence of Yahweh God, his Father, but wearing our flesh and blood and carrying the payment for our sins in his outstretched hands. He had gone 
on a mission and completed it, sent by the Father to offer himself in death for the sins of all mankind. He has done what he set out to do. He took upon himself our human nature that he could also take on himself our sin. He became cursed for our sake. He suffered for our sake. He died for our sake. He's returning now for our sake to his home in heaven. Mission completed. And a picture of the writer of Hebrew plant, uh, plant paint sorry, for us is Jesus approaching the throne of God, carrying to the Father his completed work on our behalf. We read in verse 26, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away his sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once. No more work is needed. No more payment. No more endless rituals, rituals and sacrifices. His death covers it all. For all. <clears throat> His death is sufficient to pay for every sin. To pay for every sinner. God says, well done. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we draw nigh to you again. Lord, sometimes we may take for granted your sacrifice. Sometimes we may trivialize your sacrifice. Forgive us for that, Lord. And help us to be witnesses in this community, in this town, in this province, wherever you will call us, that we can witness to the promises that you made. We can witness to others what you have done for us. Give us the boldness we need at those times. Give us the courage to speak when we're afraid. Lord, we pray that in all that we do, Lord, that we would be faithful witnesses to you and to your word. Amen. <clears throat> Our song of response is a Psalter hymnal uh, 46. God is our refuge and our strength. Please stand for the singing of this song. <clears throat>
Well, it was wonderful to have Al Omar and your family here this morning. And uh, yeah, we, we welcome you to come more often. We'd love to have you with us. So thanks for coming this morning. As you can see, we have lots of room in our church. So if you'd like to come more often, we would love that. And we'll pray for you this morning as well. And we love you. Just want to begin with the words from Isaiah, uh, pardon me, Psalm chapter 5, verse 2. Listen to our cry for help, our King and our God. For to you we pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear our voice. In the morning, we lay our requests before you and wait in expectation. Shall we pray together? Almighty God, giver of strength, Jesus, 